The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 151 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, I will be speaking with Maisel Pascal, Regional Senior Engineer Sales Manager at USW, a Menard Group USA company. We're going to be talking about her entire career journey, which has been extremely interesting from coming to the U.S., working here, getting into sales, going international, working in different countries around the world, and kind of how that helped her career, but also how it was emotionally to deal with that. Really interesting episode. Maisel really shared a lot, and I thought it was very inspirational, and I'm excited to share it with you. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineering Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. Before we get started, this podcast is free to our listeners and our sponsors help keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. Now I'd like to recognize our sponsors for this episode. First up, Mazer Consulting. Mazer is a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting is delighted to announce that Colliers International has completed the previously announced acquisition of a controlling interest in Mazer. This unique partnership allows Mazer's senior leadership to retain significant equity in the firm and continue driving operations while providing resources necessary to accelerate the growth of the business. Leveraging this partnership will result in exciting new career opportunities for employees, further diversification of Mazer's portfolio of work, and expansion of their footprint across the U.S. The company will be rebranded as Collier's Engineering Services in the first half of 2020. I'll tell you more about Mazer Consulting a little later on in the episode. I'd also like to recognize our other sponsor for this episode, PPI Kaplan, a leader in licensure exam prep. Listen up later in the episode where I'll tell you about a complimentary webinar that they are sponsoring for our listeners on PE exam preparation as well as COVID-19 updates to the PE application process. Don't miss it. I want to remind you that EMI, we recently launched another podcast, the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, which can be found at geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com. In fact, we recently interviewed ASCE National President Kanchi Purim Gunalan on the podcast, and he gave some great advice on the future of geotechnical engineering. You could check that out at geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com. Let's jump into this conversation with Maisel. Again, is Menard Group USA's Senior Regional Engineer and Sales Manager for the Southeast Region. She's a graduate of Manhattan College with a BS in Civil Engineering and Virginia Tech with an MS in Geotechnical and Geoenvironmental Engineering. She has 18 years of experience in the geotech industry, and she's licensed in nine states. And she's really passionate about increasing the number of women in STEM, which we talk about in this episode and she's been involved in DFI's Women in Deep Foundation Committee from its inception and was the previous chairperson. So let's dive into this week's Civil Engineering Conversation. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. 
All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Maisel Pascal. Maisel is the regional engineer and sales manager for the Menard Group. Maisel, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So we're excited to have you. You look like you've had a kind of a well-traveled career for someone who's still young. Why don't you start by telling our listeners what it is that you do on a daily basis right now in your career? What I do on a daily basis has drastically changed. So I think I'll have to give you the pre-COVID version and then the post-COVID version. Pre-COVID, my hat, I wear about three, maybe three and a half hats. I would say business development, education, sales and bids, engineering, and then a bit of probably people management is what I would call it. Before COVID, there was a lot of travel involved in what I would do. I run the Southeast. So that goes from North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. So a lot of ground to cover when um, doing business development. So I was on Delta a lot. I was on uh, probably Southwest a little bit. So a, a fair bit of traveling, just going out, reaching out to new clients, maybe some old clients. For us in the ground improvements um, field where I work, we want to touch the geotechs, obviously, but we also want to touch the structural engineers. We want to talk to the owners. We want to talk to the GCs. So there's so many people in any phase of our project that could bring us in that we want to be sure to be reaching out to all those people, educating them about ground improvement and making sure that, you know, on their next project, they think of us. So that's a lot of what I did, especially when I just moved here. So I started out the office in in Florida. We had not had a Florida presence before. So a lot of what I did was just saying, hey, we're here. (laughs) We're here to help you and, and all of that. Once, you know, I'm in the office, it's a lot of helping with my team with, I don't like to say my team, but helping our team with going over geotech reports, doing pre-bid designs, getting proposals together, getting bid estimates together. Obviously, we have to bid on work to be able to get it. So there's that aspect. Some of that is talking to clients before um, trying to learn about the project, develop projects with clients, or sometimes it's just a hard bid. We get a request for bid in, we go through it, we submit a proposal, we win or we don't. So a couple different ways that works. I'm still an engineer and I still like to get involved in some of the technical aspects. So sometimes that just includes helping. We have a, a pretty good design team. They probably don't need me, but I like to poke my nose in and and help whenever I can, just because, you know, I I feel like I have a, you know, a background in in soils that can be pretty helpful. So that's reviewing stuff when needed. And then, you know, there's the little things like interviewing people for positions or reviewing timesheets or reviewing expense sheets. So how big is your company? Just so the listeners get a feel for Our mothership is Vinci Construction. They're out of um, France. Under that, we fall under the, uh, I think, Vinci somewhere like a $40 billion euro company. They're construction and concessions. Under that, we fall under the Spolatanche Fresne umbrella and then under Menard. 
So Menard Worldwide is about 300 million euro company. In the U.S., we have, I think, about a hundred and some odd full-time staff. That's mostly office people and some full-time field people. And then, you know, depending on how the projects or how many projects we have going, we have, you know, more part-time union staff, et cetera, coming in. And how about your office though? Like how many, when you said our team, what does that look like? My office in Tampa is we, right now we have four people. So we have an estimated engineer, senior estimated engineer, Matt. Hey, Matt. There's Tanya, who we just hired. She's a field engineer. And Tony is our assistant PM. So those are the four people in the office in Tampa. We coordinate with our PM in Charleston and the shop in um, Leland. So that's the whole group for the Southeast. And so the reason I'm asking you is I think that this career path for a civil engineer is very interesting getting into sales and business development, which is, you know, what you do. And I think that a lot of engineers love the technical side of engineering, but they also like the people interaction. They like the idea of sales, business development, growing something. And that's obviously something that you're doing. Can you take us back to when and how you realized that that was something that you wanted to do? Because I feel like a lot of civil engineers are out there you know, in their projects, and they may not realize that your career path is even an option for them. I started off at Manhattan College in the Bronx, Go Jaspers, did a civil engineering degree there. Well, first of all, I did internships every year while I was in college, which is, I think, a big deal for people who are still in school to try to get out there and learn a little bit because at first I thought I wanted to be an environmental engineer. And then I did one internship and decided that wasn't for me. And then I did a soils course and I did an internship at Musa Rutledge. When I finished my undergrad, I worked at Musa Rutledge for a little bit. And I said, okay, this this I think where I want to go. So then did my master's at Virginia Tech and then went on to work for Haley and Aldrich in New Jersey and then Golder Associates. In that time, I went from your typical, you know, entry-level geotech to, what is it, project-level to senior geotechnical engineer. And I think it started a little bit at Haley and Aldrich, where my boss at the time, Ed Zemiski, Ed would take me to some of his meetings that he would go to. So if he was meeting with an architect in New York City, I would go along sometimes. And I started to see that, you know, sales, I guess, aspect of engineering. And then when I moved on to Boulder, I started to spend a little bit more time doing business development. Again, still being taken along to meetings to meet with prospective clients, you know, having to put together presentations for different owners or, or stuff like that. So I started to see a little bit more of the business development side. I would say the one rub when you're a working consultant and you get into doing a little bit more business development is the, I would get the chargeability thing brought up where, you know, well, you're not chargeable. Well, how do we get work if we don't do the BD? So definitely don't have that issue on the contractor side. So I started getting a little bit more into doing some business development while I was at Golder. And I definitely had people who encouraged that, encouraged me to do more of that. 
you saw some of the BD work with your boss when you went out to meetings and you like kind of liked it, it sounds like, and then you started doing some more at your next company. And I know a lot of civil engineering professionals are, I don't know if introverted is the right word, but like they're not comfortable speaking to people, you know, having these conversations and getting out there. Is that something for you that like you were always comfortable with? And so business development kind of spoke to you or did you like business development and figure, you know, I better just learn these skills and develop them? I seem to do pretty well with talking to people. I don't mind talking to people. I'm pretty open. I have to get over myself a little bit in terms of fear of rejection, I think, when you, especially if you go like to an ASCE meeting or something and you have to open up yourself and just go talk to some random person you've never met before. But I think once you get over that, it's a little bit easier. And um, I don't think I'm the most personable person, but I try and people seem to like talking to me. So that's kind of just how it developed. And that's something that you just developed some of these skills by just continuing to get out there and and kind of networking with people. I think so. I think you just have to kind of keep doing it and keep going at it because I'm very shy and reserved. And if some people know me and they hear this, they might say, ah, impossible, but I am, you know, by nature, I take a while to get to know people. Once we're friends, it's all good, but I take a while to get comfortable with people, which is something that you can't do when you have one interaction, right? Or that one interaction could mean the difference between you getting that job or not. So I think it's just something you have to work on and you have to, you know, keep trying at it, do little things like go to, like I said, the ASCE conferences, TFIs, um, working with different groups like Future City and stuff like that, where you just kind of slowly creep out of your shell. So you were at Golder and you started doing more of that. And then at some point you must have kind of really felt like this is something I want to do on a more regular basis. It didn't exactly happen like that, but I was at Golder in Atlanta and I moved to to Houston and still working for the, the Golder Atlanta office. And I was a little bit, I guess, of a satellite employee, which is a little bit strange. And I went to a conference and was just yapping it up with some people, you know, just for, it was a, a mixer. And I said to these guys who were talking to me, I had no clue who they were because I didn't know there was, you know, no inhibition. And I was just talking to them. And I mentioned that I was in Houston. And then they said, oh, we just had, we have a office in Houston. And we just had someone actually leave and we're looking for someone to do BD would that be something you're interested in? And that's how (laughs) I ended up at Menard. It actually, I don't think I ever applied for the job. It kind of just happened that way, which I guess makes sense because in the sense that I put myself out there to talk to people and then it ended up turning into BD position. And that's like what we talk a lot about on the podcast. When you get out there, you build your network, you kind of create opportunities for yourself and then it's up to you to take them or not. I've been interested to talk to you because I I feel like you've done things that a lot of civil engineers want to do, but they never do. Like number one, go into sales and business development. And then number two, work in a lot of different locations. You've worked in a lot of different parts of the world. Can you talk about that a little bit? One of the, um, I guess, the most interesting pulls about moving to Golder was they were in an international company and they had offices all over the world. So what that allowed me to do was actually, I was single, I had 
you know, no kids, no attachments, basically. And at the time, Australia was really just booming. I don't know if you remember that their mining industry was just going gangbusters and they were just looking for help. And a fair number of people from Golder ended up going over to Australia to help in, in just different capacities. So threw my hat and my name in the ring and I said, I'd, you know, love to go over there to help and took a little bit of time. And um, finally, my boss, Mark McNeely with Golder, helped me get that through. And I picked up and <laughs> went to Australia. didn't know anyone or anything. And um uh, Almost had a panic attack on the flight from LA, but you know I picked up and moved over there for about six months, and it, I mean, it was I think one of the best things I've ever done. I got to see things a little bit differently. Got to see how people approach um, geotechnical engineering. They do stuff like pressure meter testing and and actually use that to do their um, drill shafts and their rock socket and micropiles. And they, they're able to just get so much more capacity out of that, what I feel we were doing at the time and um, probably still are doing. So, you know, it just seemed like they were taking, pushing things further because they were spending more time and effort doing the field testing that sometimes I know geotechs get pushed back on here in the U.S. I mean, what was that decision-making process like for you? When I accepted the job, it's one of the things that I said I wanted to do. I didn't know where it was going to be, but, you know, I kind of said, hey, you know, I'm interested in traveling and, and working in other places. I mean, Golder at the time has a big Canadian presence, so I wasn't sure it was going to be in Canada, you know, but it's something that I definitely wanted to do. Once I started to, what I did is I spoke to a few ladies who had done it before me and, you know, found out about their experiences, things that they wish had been done better, things that had to be sorted through and kind of use that to propel myself. It was interesting. I mean, every time my mom would call and say, what's the time over there? I kept, <laughs> I got fed up of <laughs> trying to explain the time. Um, and I'm like, mom, it's like 4 a.m. or whatever time, random time she would be calling me. But once you decide to do it, you get on that plate and you just no turning back now. And how would you say that those overseas experiences have impacted you just beyond your career, like in life? it's always good for people to get out of their comfort zones and um, getting out, meeting new people. I have still have people that I consider my close friends in Australia that I feel like if I pick up the phone and say, Hey guys, I'm coming over that they'd welcome me into their homes. You know, I still see their pictures on Facebook and we wish them happy birthday or whatever it is. So it just broadens your horizon. A couple of years ago, we were working on a project that we needed some help with some rock socketed drill shafts. And because of my connections with the guys in Australia, we were able to bring in some expert advice from them that helped with the project. So it's just learning, just growing, just expanding. I was able to go over to New Zealand where my aunt had done her she was a dentist, but before she was a dental hygienist, she had done some studies over in New Zealand. And I was able to go over there and, and meet one of the ladies who helped her through it. 
and I stayed with them. And it was just such a great experience to see all the places that my aunt had spoken about when I was a kid. And, you know, Cheech, my aunt died a, a few years ago. So, you know, all those things definitely stay with me and um, just give you a different perspective on life. And sometimes we think that America is all that there is. And, and that's not the case. I studied abroad as an engineer in, in Brussels, Belgium, and I was just a college kid, like having a good time at school. And a friend of mine said, you know, we're going to go to Brussels. The engineering program has a program over there. And I'm thinking to myself, like, who would want to leave here? Like, 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 I didn't know anything else existed, you know, outside of the U.S. Plus, like I was at college, like, you know, hanging out with people thinking like, this is fun. But luckily enough, I went and my wife, who's also a civil engineer, she went on the trip as well. And was definitely one of the greatest things we've done. And I think to your point, I think what it really does is it kind of like riches you both professionally and personally. I mean, professionally, like you said, you learn different things, you met different professional contacts and build your network. And then on the personal side, you made relationships that you'll, I'm sure, continue to lean on for the rest of your life. And also it just, like you said, it broadens your horizon. It gets you out there traveling, understanding that there's a lot of different cultures out there, which is something that we don't always get to experience outside of our own country. So where were you born? I was born in uh, Dominica in the Caribbean. You came to the U.S. at some point first? or I think it was 97 or 98. So, Maisel, you came from outside of the U.S. and attended college here in the U.S., which I'm sure must have been very challenging for you. Can you talk about that experience and how it has affected your career overall? It was interesting. I, I remember the first that I went to class, civil engineering class at Manhattan College, and I walked in the room, and lo and behold, there was another Black girl in there. <laughs> so my friend Denise, who works for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, hi Denise. And so I think we both smiled because we both probably felt a little bit less alone or a little bit less different. And I think it's weird because I was going through some of the questions before we spoke. And, and one of the things that I really wanted to, to touch on in some way is how much representation matters and how much not being represented has an effect on a person. People who don't have that issue truly get it, I remember going to a school in North New Jersey, and I did that as part of ASCE K through 12 or something. It was a career day. I went to talk about being an engineer, and I had little girls telling me that they didn't think Black girls could be engineers. And I was like, what is that? Like, you know, I come from a place where I, my dad always told me I could be anything. So to hear that was a little bit shocked to me. I've grown to learn and understand a lot more because every time I go to, you know, conferences and stuff, we're starting to see a lot more ladies, which is good, but there's still not many people of color, not many minority people reflected. So it's tough. Sometimes it's funny because it, it means that everyone remembers you because you're that person, but I don't remember people. So people are always talking to me, hey, you're at this conference again. And I'm like, where do I know this guy from? But <laughs> I guess there's not that many, you know, Black ladies at all the DFI conferences or whatever it is. 
We're going through times right now in the United States. I mean, we've gone through times, but just recently, again, we had everything going on around, you know, George Floyd and racial inequality and protests and the, the Black Lives Matter movements. And do you feel like with everything going on, based on what you just told me, do you feel like even more like, you know, you do need to do some of this work and the STEM work and get out there and show young black girls that they can do these things? Do you ever feel that pressure? Do you feel like that's something that your job to do that? Yeah, and I don't think of it as pressure. Like, I had this moment a couple, like, you know, when I was not to get political, but when I was looking at protesters in D.C. getting pushed back where I stood at the TV and, and literally cried. And then I went and asked my husband, I said, what am I doing with my life? I said, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I'm like, there are these people out there, you know, fighting for a change, putting their life on the line. And I don't know what I'm doing. I said, I don't know what's my legacy. I don't know what change I'm affecting. I called my buddy, Brian, who works with our company. And I said, Brian, have you recently thought of like what your legacy is? It made me feel like I wasn't doing enough. And I used to do a lot. So I used to be involved in in all of these things. And then, you know, you get married and, and then kids come along and it just seems like your focus changes. So what it has done for me is that it has made me say that I need to figure out how to get back out there and how to be more visible. Because I don't think of it as a pressure. I think of it as a privilege I'm always trying to figure out ways to give back. I want kids that look like me to know that it's possible and that their color or their country of origin or whatever should not be a determining factor in where they can go to in life. Even though I know that it can be, I just, you know, mentally, we gotta, we have this thing called mental slavery where you have to at least start to think that you can before you actually can, right? So I want them to see Maysil and say, you know, Maysil can do this. My niece thinks that I build every building in Tampa. So everything we pass by that's in construction, she says, Auntie, did you build that one? So in her head, she can build anything, you know? That's what I want other little girls to think that they can do. I think you're right. I think it's a privilege. I think that every kid is different, of course, and different children of different cultures will look at people differently. If I were to go and speak at, in front of those girls that you talked about, you know, they might be like, wow, this is cool engineering. But if you're there and they see themselves in you, it's a totally different story. So like we all need to do, I think, our part like in our own way and however we can do that. And, and it's great to hear your story there about how you got inspired around legacy because you have done a lot of STEM work in the past. I know, you know, from reading up a little bit about you in terms of the future city, the math counts, you know, the volunteering that you did with Golder Trust and tutoring refugee students. And so it obviously is important to you. And it sounds like it's had a very positive impact on you, I'm sure, just like the kids. Yeah, I mean, it has. I mean, the Golder Trust is such a great thing that started once Golder started a office in South Africa and basically companies from all over the world do things to raise money for these different NGOs that work with orphan kids. 
most of the kids are orphaned because of HIV and AIDS. And so every year, and I don't know if they still do it, but every year they would have this volunteer trip to a different part of, of Africa to go spend time at one of those NGOs where it was all on you. You had to pay for everything and you spent two weeks. So was it two weeks or a week? I can't remember. But when I did it, our group went to Durban and we went to um, an orphanage there. And, and again, you know, it was the first time I think these kids had seen one of the volunteers who was Black. Sometimes it feels a little daunting, but if that's what it takes to hopefully have left an impression on someone. Um, we helped them do homework. We built a, a playground for them. We cooked with them. We sang with them. We ate with them. And um, we just showed them our support. I mean, the trust bought a x-ray machine for the community that a big issue that people with AIDS and HIV deal with, I think is a uh, TB tuberculosis. So they were able to come in and get scans, people from that community. And we worked with um, Doctors Without Borders. I saw nurses there who volunteered. It was just great to be a part of that. And you know, obviously we got to have a little fun and go do safari stuff. I don't know how you put a dollar sign on things like that, you know, that experience. So I got two questions left for you, Maisel, before we put you on the civil engineering hot seat, which we have to do. But the first question is for those civil engineers listening right now that are thinking about doing something different in their career, whether it be sales or whether it be working international, kind of taking a risk, I guess, more or less, like what would you say to them? Go for it. I had a, a college professor once tell me, why would you want to do your master's at the same place you did your undergrad? He basically said, you're learning from the same people. He said, go out there, learn from different people, do different things. And I think that applies. You know, if you go out and you travel, you work somewhere, you're, you're going to learn from different people. You're going to learn different approaches, things that when you come back home, if you do, this, do decide to come back and some people go and stay, that you can use. If you want to try sales, you know, go try it. If it doesn't work out, you know, there's always an engineering firm looking for a geotech where we seem to be a dime a dozen. So I always say people have to live. When people get upset, when people leave companies to go do things. I was like, you know, companies keep going. Companies do what works for them. You have to do what works for you. You have to, if what works for you is trying something else, then by all means, go for it. First of all, I love that philosophy of, you know, learn from different people. I think that that's great. But also what you said there, you know, it's kind of like, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Like, doesn't work out. You come back. I mean, listen, if you're in the world of infrastructure, civil, structural, geotechnology, you're going to have a job somewhere for the next 10, 20 years. I mean, there's no, you know, infrastructure is not going anywhere. It's getting worse and worse. So, you know, you could always double back and, and get a job somewhere. So that, that's a good way to, I think, think about it. All right. Last question here for this segment. Let's say that it's time for you to retire whenever that may be. I don't know, 20 years from now, whatever it may be. And you had to kind of say, you know, I wanted to accomplish this in my career. I did this in my career. What would that this be? What is that that you really want to accomplish? Kind of like getting back to your legacy that we talked about before. I want people to remember me as someone who cared. I think I have a, a big heart and sometimes that's good. Um, sometimes that's bad. It makes me a little bit too sensitive at times. Maybe not let things um, drop as quickly as they should, but I would like to make a, a mark in such a way that when people remember me, they smile because I've had some 
good influence on them. It goes back a lot to also that representation. I don't want to, wherever life takes me, I don't want to fall into the background because I think I owe it to those coming after me to be visible, to be loud, (laughs) to be outspoken. I have resisted for a long time doing anything like this. I'm just doing my thing. I don't need to go on a podcast, so I don't need to have anything written about me. And I'm telling you, this this year really changed my mind about stuff like that. So no more trying to be what they call it, a shrinking violet. I want people to say, one, she cared, and two, she was visible, and maybe she made a a little bit of difference for me. Because maybe, as I said, if, if she can do it, maybe I can do it. I feel like I have a responsibility to my daughter and and my nieces and those other little girls out there who don't think that they could do it to say you can do it and it is possible and and to try to continue to work to foster environments that allow for them to be able to do it because that's a big part of getting there. We're going to come back with Maisel in a minute. We're going to finish up by putting her on the civil engineering hot seat for a few last questions. It's the ground. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right. We are back with Maisel Pascal from the Menard Group, and it's time to put Maisel on the civil engineering hot seat. All right. First question, Maisel. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day, whether it's a morning routine or lunchtime routine, realizing this may be totally different post COVID-19, but are there any things that you've done consistently throughout your career that have contributed to your success? I don't really think I have rituals. I don't like, um, I don't like things to be too structured. So I just go with the flow. I try to be thankful and and realize that I'm blessed and thank God for his blessings. I don't know if I, I remember to do it every day, but it's something that if I had to think of a ritual that I should be doing, that'd probably be it. <laughs> and just keep trying to stay true to myself, I guess. All right. Another question here. What is one book that you might have recommended to engineers or just one book that might've been helpful for you personally or professionally? Any book that comes to mind if someone said, you know, you could take one book with you somewhere and you're going away. One book I would say is uh, The Alchemist by uh, Paulo Coelho. I think that's how you say his name. I mean, that book is just a small book. It packs a lot of punch, right? And it talks so much about fulfilling your destiny and that sometimes you go on this long journey to try to find this thing that you think is what you're destined for when it was right back where you started because you didn't open your eyes to see it. I think that's probably a, a good book for anyone who's thinking about making a change or trying to figure out what's their next move. It probably offers some inspiration. Yeah, that's a great book for anybody, you know, whether you're making a move or not really. And it is a small and I think a relatively quick read. I think I've read it like five times at this point because I just love the ending and the book and the the story. And I've I've told the story to my kids. But yeah, that's a great book. The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Definitely check it out if you haven't. All right. We've got one final question for you, May. So we call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had 30 to 40 seconds with him or her to give career advice in that short period of time, what would that advice be? 
I think it goes some of what I've already said in terms of learning from people. Try to keep learning and, and, and keep growing. I don't think there's ever a time not to. I had a, a boss make a joke that he was too old to learn a new program. And sometimes I feel that way, but to keeping our minds open. I think give credit, give credit where credit is due. That's, that's, I don't like when people don't give credit. That's a peeve of mine. Acknowledge when you made a, a mistake, own up to it. Speak in truth, at least, you know, try to. We're, we're not perfect if we're not, but I think especially with your coworkers and people that you want to build a, a trust with, speaking in truth and speaking up when it matters is important. Untruth can make a, a workplace debilitating and it, 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 the lack of trust can make things definitely hard. I mean, so just speaking truth, I would say mentor if you can. I've, I've had some great mentors along the way, people like uh, Bob Stedkar at Golder, who as a young woman coming to a new company with a little bit of experience, I mean, that man, I would say, took me under his wig. He never spoke over me. He always listened. He explained. He took his time to edit stuff and, you know, explain to me why, make comments, take me on, you know, meetings whenever possible. And he's someone that, even if I wasn't in the room and someone said something about me, that I would have always felt had my back. So have your people's backs. It goes a long way in developing trust. And I think trust is is something that will take you a long way in, in your career because when people trust you and they believe in you, I think it makes a world of difference. So keep learning, speak your truth, give credit, give back if you can, even if it's in the smallest of ways, it, it, it'll make the biggest difference. That's great. And that'd be a very valuable elevator ride for a civil engineer to get that advice. And I think all of our listeners are going to enjoy it. Maisel, you have a great personality. You've got great stories. You've accomplished so much in your career. And I'm really happy that you spent some time with us here on the podcast. And I'm, I'm confident that you're going to certainly achieve that legacy. I think we're lucky to have someone like you in the civil engineering field. So thanks for taking the time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Maisel. She was really dynamite. I mean, she's doing a lot of great things and it's always exciting to talk to someone who's so inspiring and motivating as someone like Maisel. And before we wrap up here, I do want to once again, thank our sponsors for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Due to growth, Mazer Consulting has a new and exciting opportunity for a civil site project manager with experience in residential and commercial land development to work out of their Montvale, New Jersey office. To learn more, or if you know anyone interested, please contact Michael Weissman at 732-309-7879 and let him know that you heard about the job on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Again, that's Michael Weissman at Mazer at 732-309-7879. And I'd also like to again thank our sponsor, PPI. 
we're excited to be teaming up with PPI Kaplan to deliver a webinar that will provide strategies for PE exam preparation and also an update on how COVID-19 has affected the PE exam scheduling and upcoming exams. To register for this free webinar, please visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org forward slash PPI webinar. That's engineeringmanagementinstitute.org forward slash PPI webinar. And remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode 151. There you'll find a summary of the key points that we discussed in today's episode with Maisel, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that were mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.